the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back as we head into Hour 3. Any day I uh, look forward to seeing John Shattuck uh, on Wednesdays. It's a good day for me. I always look forward to his uh, wisdom and uh, his friendship. It's nice to have you in studio. John is the former congressman representing uh, the old District 4 in Arizona. He's the, uh, he is the uh, head founder of uh, Shattuck & Associates. Uh, welcome back. Thanks for being with us. Glad to be back. I look forward to Wednesdays. Uh, we get an hour of politics and there's lots to talk oh about. Oh my gosh, yes. And, uh, the first, the first, fascinated you know, by all of it. People ask me, are you going to talk about the Trump indictment or pending indictment or pending arrest in New York? We've talked a little bit about it. One of the interesting things, John, run this by you. Um, you've been a newsmaker. You've been around a lot of newsmakers. It doesn't take much for Donald Trump to make news. I mean, <laughs> it just doesn't. But there it is a risk here, time. right? It crowds out, I think, a certain extent of the other. Whatever happened to the Biden classified records scandal? Whatever happened to this information about the money that's flowed, the three million dollars that's now been discovered to have flowed from Chinese banks to the Biden family coffers? I, I suppose one could say you're expecting the press to cover this in the first place. But, you know, when the uh, when 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 there is a when there is a solar eclipse named Donald Trump, it, it makes it a little easier for them not to cover these things. It makes it very easy for them not to cover these things. And I would say that in my lifetime, the single biggest change in politics has been the abandonment of the standards of the news industry. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I went to high school in the 60s and, you know, you could listen to the news and, and you didn't particularly know whether a station was hard left or hard right. No. Uh, Every reporter, even, you know, people would get mad at uh, Walter Cronkite at times, but they all pretty much tried to hold to, we're going to report the news, and then they'd sometimes have editorials, but you could trust that you were getting, quote unquote, the news. And and, and the ones that got rewarded or, or accolades were the ones that exposed someone who was lying. And that has changed now so dramatically that uh, in the lead up to your question, I thought to myself, look, it, it, if the injured party or ever who or whoever looks bad in the story is a Democrat, it's going to disappear within minutes. Uh, it, it just doesn't matter. Like you said, what has happened to all these Hunter Biden stories that just disappear? How come? No, I don't think I've ever heard a reporter say, how did the FBI cover up the laptop? which focused on Hunter Biden and the Biden family relationship with Ukraine while the president was being impeached over Ukraine. Yeah. Or, or, or another one. So the government under Joe Biden says it's perfectly all right to have various agency heads go and selectively brief social news outlets in order to make sure those news outlets uh, spin the story or know a story that will help defend the administration. So they decide 
that the Hunter Biden laptop is Russian disinformation and they have the right government officials being paid by us have have the right to go out and try to influence the news and the social media platforms either not to cover that story or to cover that story with a spin that, oh, well, we already know uh, the computer was just Russian uh, disinformation. It, it is absolutely stunning. What's so weird to me about that is that we traditionally understood the media's role to be skeptical not only of government and investigative of not only government, but but particularly claims of intelligence or claims of national security. This was what the Pentagon Papers case was all about. This was, of course, what was discovered with COINTELPRO and and the church hearings in in 1975. And, and, And the idea that the press would now become the mouthpiece or the House organ for not only covering up crimes, but parroting the unverified and unvalidated claims of national security officials is, 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 is virgin territory. Um, when I was a kid growing up, if somebody said reporter, you immediately – two words came to mind, uh, cynical mm-hmm. or skeptic, mm-hmm. um, because that's what they were trained to do was to be skeptical and to go behind the claim mm-hmm. being made – or to be cynical and to look for, you know, bad conduct uh, in in almost everything, uh, and then to now it's it, it is completely challenged changed. It's now if you say reporter, uh, you say biased. Yeah. Uh, um, or a defender of the establishment, or needs to be double checked. Yeah, something or like or that. Leftist or woke, right? Leftist <laughs> or woke. I often quote uh, Hugo Black and. Um, William O. Douglas's uh, uh, concurrence in the Pentagon Papers case, the press was to serve the governed, not the governors. The government's power to censor the press was abolished so that the press would remain forever free to censure the government. Now, I kind of put my finger on the dramatic change here to the time when you were in Congress uh, and the explosion of the Internet. People tend to forget, but I think this was a turning point, uh, John, Congressman Shattuck, when the original scandal with Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky came out. You will recall, I'm blanking the name of the reporter at Newsweek, Isakoff, Michael Isakoff, had the story with Newsweek, and they deep-sixed it. They spiked the story, and someone leaked it. I think it was one of the Goldbergs leaked it to Matt Drudge, who no one had heard of at that time, and he ran with it. But this was a story Newsweek had that decided they're not going to go with it. And boy, did that uncover an awful lot of things, and it led to the obviously first impeachment of a president uh, uh, since Andrew Johnson, I guess, or – Yes, I, th- I think that's fair to say. But that's when things started to change where you could see the mainstream media begin to covering for one particular party. I think you were there. I don't know what your memories of that was or if that was not the turning point. Uh, Dan Rather, one last point. Sorry to filibuster. One last point. Dan Rather got in trouble seven years later for airing a story negative on George W. Bush and the reelection having to do with his National right. Guard service. He yep. got fired then. I don't know that he would today. Oh, I don't think he would today. Right. And, and I'm not sure that it started when I was there, although I could have been so deep in in the issues I was working on that I didn't see it. Uh, and I think not a lot of Americans saw it back then. It is now in your face. Mm-hmm. It is now very clear 
They make no pretense. Mm -hmm. Um, You pick up the paper today, for example, and you read uh, Joe Smith without evidence says this happened. Mm That those words without evidence or without proof, the media feel completely comfortable putting that in a news story. Those Mm -hmm. words can be inserted by any reporter in a news story, and that's acceptable news coverage. Mm -hmm. How do they know there's no evidence? In some instances, uh, if not in most instances, there is what the advocate believes is evidence, but the reporter decides, oh, that's not evidence because I don't believe it. Mm-hmm. So then they get to write without evidence. For example, they write consistently, uh, um, uh, MAGA Republicans believe the 2020 election was stolen without evidence. Well, is there no evidence? In point of fact, a lot of people would point to a lot of evidence. Uh, I think we've talked about this before. Uh, there were some 60-odd federal cases with you know, 55 of them being dismissed because of lack of standing. The left sells that as cases where there was no evidence. In fact, a dismissal on the grounds that the plaintiff doesn't have any standing has nothing to do with evidence. It means they didn't get to the evidence. Yeah, there's this odd compelling reason that the media feels they have to add those words without evidence. They don't need to add that at all if they were just straighting, straight reporting the news. But then again, MAGA Republicans believe is also an editorial because I have a feeling that I could find eight different kinds of MAGA Republicans here, half of whom believe that the election had fraudulent uh, elements to it and half that didn't. I'll go one beyond that. It's not that they, they they don't they may feel that they have to add it. Yeah. I think it's phrased a little better to say they can get away okay. with uh, adding it. Okay. And in point of fact, uh, they have no business adding it. It has no business. Uh, those words have no uh, proper place in a news story. That's right. You know, if it was an editorial saying, you know, yeah, I don't believe there's any evidence to support the following claim, well, but. For them to put it in a news story means they've made a decision that the evidence that is there, they've chosen not to believe. Or let, me, d- let me pick up on that with you because I think part of the problem is is not only in our undergraduate schools but particularly identifiable with our journalism schools. Um, I've seen some – I've had a lot of journalist students intern with me and I ask them all the same question. We'll pick up on this on the other side of the break, which is – do you have any classes on media bias? No. Do you have any classes on editorial writing? No. Do you have any classes that distinguish between news and editorial? No. Let's pick up on that because that is what has been collapsed. John Shattig is our guest, S-H-A-D-E-G-G. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. John Shattig is uh, my in-studio guest. We're talking a little bit about media bias. We'll get to some other issues in a few moments. But when we were talking about the way journalism has changed, John, particularly the covering of political uh, news and political stories, I was mentioning before the break, I think part of the problem is in the journalism schools, they have become schools of advocacy rather than schools teaching investigation, teaching the distinction between news gathering, news reporting, and editorializing. Shocked about Three years ago, a student at the Walter Cronkite School here at ASU, who was the head of their, she was the producer of their radio show, she got fired for linking to a story of the New York Post's 
that was the that was the critique of her. That was the cause for her firing because the New York Post was considered illegitimate by the powers that be on a story that, by the way, turned out to be true about a, 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 a conflict between a, a, a police and uh, and someone who was resisting arrest. But just merely citing to the New York Post got her fired. There's about 20 things wrong in there. But this, I think, is the problem with the journalism schools. They become schools of advocacy. And the advocacy and the schools of journalism, as journalists now, I think, see the um, see their role as, as to promulgate, disseminate one singular point of view. I was reading a interview by a New York Times reporter the other day, old school New York Times reporter the other day, who said the younger generation thinks in our newsroom that to show both sides is to engage in white supremacy. Yeah. Literal quote from an old school New York Times reporter, this notion of reporting both sides is now verboten. Well, it, there was a time in America when I had huge admiration for reporters because they openly acknowledged that their job was to write any given story down the middle. Uh, make sure that both sides' position was accurately reflected. And I used to marvel at that and think, boy, that's got to be a hard job to to not let your own personal bias sneak in mm -hmm. and to do a fair job of listening to each side and then presenting it fairly. And today it seems to me virtually no reporters even try. Right. And so I think the honor has gone out of the profession, and now it's simply – I'm an advocate. Uh, I watch it occasionally in the coverage of environmental issues where they say, oh, well, we've assigned Sally Smith to the environment. Well, what that means is that Sally Smith has a very strong pro-environment, anti-whatever-you-want-to-say, uh, anti-the-opposite-side bias, and she writes it into every story. And it seems to me that even giving somebody a topic and then acknowledging once they have that topic, they are supposed to write from a bias says, well, I don't need to read that. Uh, I've got an advocate that I can listen to on that topic. And, and it stuns me. If you, if you assigned and, and in days gone by, you might talk about Don Bull, Bowles. In days gone by, a reporter would be assigned to corruption. Well, now, corruption is something where there is a right and a wrong accepted, I thought, by society. Uh, corruption is wrong. And if Don Bowles was assigned to discover corruption and he found it wherever he found it and reported it, saying, here's the evidence of corruption, he didn't need to, to offer the opposite side, saying, well, no, he says that's not corrupt because he gave the money to his sick aunt or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. But now... Uh, Bias in in reporting is openly accepted and acknowledged and 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 um, applauded, uh, and bias on a topic uh, is also not just tolerated; it's encouraged. And I think the profession has suffered because of it. And I think the degree to which uh, the nation is well informed has suffered. There's a corruption level here. Uh, the Don Bowles thing is interesting because at the press club in Washington and elsewhere, that name still rings and looms large. When was his bombing? 76, 77, 19, and it still looms large right. in a lot of memories. And if he weren't covering corruption, I think the story would not be the story that it still remains with us. It was because he was trying to uh, uncover certain corruption in certain um, uh, among certain people 
in Arizona. But, you know, there's there there's corruption in the journalistic community, too. And once in a while, uh, you will see them lift the the veil on it. I remember uh, Easton Jordan, who is the head of CNN, wrote an op-ed in The New York Times circa 2005, I think it was, when he was talking about this was when the Iraq war was raging pretty hotly. And he said, you know, we at CNN covered up a lot of Saddam Hussein's crimes when we were there. It was the price for us to be in Iraq. We had a bureau in Baghdad, and the only way we could stay in Baghdad was by not reporting on the humanitarian crimes and crises that Saddam Hussein was unleashing on his own people. And you expect that out of corrupt dictators. You that's, expect that from the dictator, not the CNNs in the New York Times. Well, and not out of the United States government right. where right. it says, well— we're going to go spin. Right. We've already decided, we the government have decided that the Hunter Biden laptop right. wasn't a bona fide laptop. It wasn't Hunter Biden's. It was a Russian plot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and therefore, we the government will go and tell the social media outlets that, hey, be careful. Uh, we think this is, wink, wink, nod, nod, a government plot. What is the social network going to hear from that? Well, they hear two things. One, the government can crush us. At any given day. And if they're hinting to us that this is a is Russian uh, uh, disinformation, disinformation, um, we better spin it that way for two reasons. One, there's some we believe there's some evidence because they're saying it. But two, if they're bothering to come to us and tell us, that must mean they want us to spin it that way. And given that they could investigate our tax returns or our labor practices or you name it. Uh, we need to keep the government happy. If the government sends us the message, by gosh, we're going to keep them happy. Otherwise, we'll be out of business in a heartbeat. So it is just the mere attempt. And especially when you think about it, when they don't come to all of us. They didn't issue a press release saying that, uh, which every American could have read at the time and said, yeah, I believe it or I don't. Uh, They go and have a secret closed door meeting with uh, Facebook or with uh, one of the other uh, social media outlets and use their power to sped, spread the word that the government wants spread. Now it's beginning to look like a uh, a, a corrupt government run by a, a dictator. And the evidence was there all along to prove to the contrary. The FBI had the laptop that for a In year. They had the receipt of of uh, of uh, Hunter Biden signing over his computer to for the for the work order for the job to be done. They had all this evidence and yet you're right. They all they all kind of got together saying this is the narrative we're going to um this is the narrative we're going to perpetuate and anything other than that, is going to be given a hard time. And what's the dramatic irony here? Maybe we can pick up on this on the other side of the segment. The dramatic irony here is when I give a talk, people will ask me, well, how do you know where to go to get the news? I'm sure you're asked the same question. Where do you go to get an unbiased uh, uh, picture of the news? Uh, Maybe you have a better answer, but my answer is you've got to do your own work these days. you just got to do your own research. But the weird thing about that is is the the New York Times of the world, and particularly the liberal community, in uh, in political America, talks and la- about and laments the divisions in America. This is what causes divisions when they are sending people into areas of their of of, of research where they can be subject to true true conspiracy theories uh, because they know that the New York Times is no more or less credible than website XYZ that just got founded yesterday. Where do they think this is going to take the American people? This is not going to unite us. This is going to create greater divisions where we're not going to agree upon 
facts like one plus one equals two. Pick up on some of that when we come back uh, from the break. John Shattig is my guest. We'll be right back. Congressman, Congressman John Shattig is my guest in studio. Uh, John, the point I'm, I guess I'm trying to make is when institutions are no longer trustworthy, whether it's the CDC or the federal government or the Department of Justice or those that were supposed to be playing the ball straight down the middle, the mainstream media like the New York Times, CNN, you name it, when they're no longer uh, – when they, when they have collapsed uh, trust, when they have uh, made themselves untrustworthy – it's 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 somewhat precious for them to then turn around and complain that we are a country uh, of greater and greater division subject to more subjecting ourselves to more and more conspiracy theories, because as it turns out, they're the arsonists who are kind of standing over the burnt embers. I, I, I think it, it, it's a tragic thing when you can't trust institutions that tell us they're the they're 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 the institutions you should trust. I think that's absolutely right. And I think. Um, dividing Americans amongst each other or some Americans from others has done massive damage to this nation. Um, for a long time, I heard the phrase identity politics. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I kind of puzzled that, well, I'm not sure I know what identity politics are. And then I began to ferret it out. And what it meant was uh, – Encouraging people to focus on their identity and to focus on the fact that their identity divides them. Uh, I think we've talked about the fact that uh, at one time in America, our identity first and foremost was that we were Americans. Right. Now, at least the political class wants us to focus on those aspects of our identity which make us different. Uh, race, religion, uh, 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 origination where we perhaps came from and to focus on not just our identities being different but then if our identity is different are we somehow then being treated disparately uh, so that uh, well you know this class of people gets ahead whites uh, and another class of people falls behind and um, we have weakened the nation, the, the, the language used by the fathers, uh, which went, for example, one nation indivisible right. with liberty and justice for all for all uh, those things have been weakened by identity politics. And and I think the whole nation has gone from first being viewed as one nation. We're all Americans, regardless of our skin color. And we're all entitled to equality under the law. Those should be the things that we idealize and strive for. And and yet the critics of the nation say, well, uh, our striving for them isn't perfect. Guess what? It isn't perfect. We never claimed it was perfect. But by you know, by comparison, it is arguably far better here in America than any nation on Earth, which is why people are scrambling from around the world to get in here, and nobody is scrambling to get 
into uh, those other countries, say uh, yeah, Russia China doesn't or have China. an immigration problem. They don't yeah, have Cuba have doesn't the, have an immigration. They don't problem. need fences to keep people out. There again is an interesting point about what seems to have been a settled narrative that we're supposed to toe the line on. And it's a settled narrative that, for example, in the Supreme Court of the United States right now is pending a case of Asian students claiming Harvard was discriminating against them on behalf of other minorities. In a better day, this would be a huge story. In a better day, holy smokes, for all the talk about diversity, for all the talk about equity, for all the talk about really discrimination, you would think that there would be some journalistic brief on behalf of these Asian students, I think the suits against Harvard and the University of North Carolina, who are being very clearly discriminated against, have to meet a different bar to get in than do other minorities. There is a settled narrative that also not only builds distrust, but distrust in the way it's being covered, distrust in those institutions, and more division amongst the races, because everyone now kind of knows what Shelby Steele once talked about in his very first book on this, that we we are we are kind of getting not only a reverse racism, but we're kind of settling in on this notion of a permanent permanent stigma of questionable competence that just reinforces the bitterness between the races because one side was taken in the battle to have equity. I mean, at a certain point, this country, at least in the history that I've read of it, which is, I think, ample, the same history you grew up with, John, we knew Asian Americans or Asians who moved here faced an awful lot of damn discrimination. Absolutely. They were one of the most discriminated against groups in this country. Somehow, some way, that can continue and we can be blithe about it as a national matter. Under the notion that diversity somehow makes us better, but not diversity with Asians, diversity with other minorities, but diversity what? A viewpoint? Well, I give you Stanford Law School. Is that a, is that a place that welcomes diversity of viewpoint? It certainly does not. I, I question this whole notion of diversity, and I think the idea that we are one nation indivisible is something, an object in our rearview mirror that is getting farther and farther behind us. Maybe we can pick up on that when we come clearly right is, back. and it clearly is in part because of identity politics, yeah. where the politicians yeah. and the news media want you to focus, and they themselves focus. Uh, continuously on what divides us rather than what unites us. Let's pick up on that. We'll be right back. It's a delight having John Shadig in studio. I wish we could do hours upon hours rather than just our one hour. John, uh, you are a uh, you are a uh, a wealth of of, of deep thought and uh, insight. The issue of division. Um, in America, it's driven by a lot of things, lack of trust in our institutions, whether they are our colleges, universities, whether they are media, whether they are the government itself, whether it is the government itself. And, you know, this is what makes it a little sad for me, I have to tell you, to see that in our own party, we are going at each other, daggers drawn amongst ourselves, whether you're on the DeSantis side of things or the Donald Trump side of things. This kind of division I don't think is good for our party. And then, and then, right, we can talk about that. And then there's this new phenomenon I was talking about a couple hours ago. You saw it on the front page of the, new York, of the Arizona Republic this morning, that there are these you know, I think faux third parties that are coming here. I say faux. I, I think they're will of the wisp. And the reason I say that is, you know, they're mostly 97 percent liberal lefty. They're mostly covers for people who didn't succeed in the Democratic Party and kind of have little bits of ego trips and kind of become receptacles and bank accounts for disaffected Republicans. I don't think very highly of them. I've thrown a lot at you. Take anything you want there. <laughs> 
Well, um, dividing the country, I think, is not uh, particularly good. And I think uh, the proliferation of small parties, which we're beginning to see, the article in the morning paper talked about uh, one new party already having uh, been formed in Arizona and going to be on the next Arizona ballot, I guess, and another party being promoted by Mr. Yang coming in, and he's going to advance its agenda and try to make it yet another recognized party uh, in Arizona. Um, It seems to me that if you look at those, uh, many of them are driven by ego or they're driven by this notion that some uh, relatively insignificant issue is what we ought to be (laughs) focused around. You're totally right. Uh, We ought to be just focused around this tiny little little niche and we should all get together. And and my thought in response to that is if you – I think – The current parties do a good job of reflecting the country. Uh, Right now, the Republican Party is uh, torn asunder because uh, there is an ongoing battle, quite frankly, between, uh, say, the MAGA Republicans or the most extreme MAGA Republicans uh, and others in the party. And uh, that is pulling us apart. And what it means is we're fighting each other and not outlining our basic principles, the things that drive us like freedom, like equality, like free markets. And we ought to be focused on those things that unite us. And then along comes Mr. Yang, who, if you read the whole article, yeah. it, it turns out he's lost election after election yeah. after election. As a Democrat. As a Democrat. Right, right. And so now what he's decided is, well, if I can't get elected as a Democrat, I'm going to form a new party. Right. Or you get others that have the same issue. They say, well, I can't seem to win or the candidates that do win uh, are not exactly what I'd like. Maybe those on the left are too far left, although you don't hear much about that. But you hear a lot about those on the right who are too far right. So what I'll do is I'll change the system. And so we get top two, which I think has made a mess of things where it's been implemented. And now woven into the story about Mr. Yang and his new political party is... Uh, rank, cha- rank, rank choice, yeah. Rank choice. Yeah. So let's make co- elections much more complicated. <laughs> yeah. And let's not just recognize that... Uh, when parties, uh, as you can argue the Republican Party right now, or even maybe the Democratic right party right now, don't reflect a kind of a uniform consensus, well, we shouldn't let that just work itself out. Uh, we ought to come in and change the system. And I would argue those changes are uh, ill-guided and do usually do more damage than good, and that if you just hold your breath and do as some other societies do and and take a little longer view, uh, that which currently divides Republicans from Republicans or maybe even Democrats from Democrats will in time work itself out. And you'll get a consensus on the two major views that face the country, and then we'll wind up with pretty darn good candidates. The other thing it seems to me is these reforms and or uh, splinter parties, what they do is send the message that, well, you can change the system and that will fix it. I would argue the opposite is true. If uh, if Republicans in the Republican Party today don't like the position taken by some MAGA Republicans, the answer isn't change the system. The answer is get involved in the system. Uh, I, I have a beef with uh, some or, or, or an issue, maybe would be a better way to say it, with some of the business leaders in Arizona because they aren't as involved as they were at one point in time. Right. When Burton Barr was leading the legislature from the right, and we'll say Art Hamilton yeah. was leading 
the legislature from the left or from the Democrats. We had excellent leaders backed by businessmen and women who knew it was important to have good leaders at the legislature. And we encouraged them and we dealt with the major issues and we weren't sidetracked into uh, personalities over, over principles. personalities yeah. uh, or over largely insignificant issues where one guy gets elected and decides, well, I'm going to go after this because it's my little yeah. personal peak. And it is little. I, I often tell people that, um, and I say it with great confidence in fact, that there's no one in Arizona alive today who has better conservative credentials than you do. And I wanted to ask you what the first Republican convention you remember going to would have been. Oh, it was 1964. 1964. The one before that, the Republican convention where there was a small effort for Barry Goldwater to get nominated and he didn't make it to Richard Nixon. He gave a speech. We all love that 1964 speech um, that your family was so involved in, of course. But the speech Barry Goldwater gave in 1960 might be the more important one for our times right now. This was the let's grow up conservatives right. speech. Yep. This was the speech where conservatives were upset. And I mean, the shoe would be on the other foot perhaps today with the with the moderates needing to kind of understand that the conservatives have have the control of the party right now, or at least have have the um, have the accelerator, their foot on the accelerator of the party right now. But the notion that just because your guy didn't win. You we can. You know, away. remember what Goldwater said? He said, let's grow up conservatives lest we turn it over to the blueprint for socialism, yep. which was the Democratic Party. That's what he said in 1960. We could use a little more of that right now. He yeah? did call on uh, conservatives to grow up right. and, and, and stick with the team right. and stick with the nation. Uh, by the way, the 64 speech, uh, not many people know about it, but it was pretty much written by Harry Jaffa, right, right. who went on to teach uh, at uh, Claremont. Yeah. He turned me from a Democrat to a Republican. Really? Yeah. Uh-huh. It was uh, it, it was a very noted speech, and actually, when you look at the language, it was uh, I think a profound speech. Uh, my dad got some credit for having written it, which he didn't. It was very Jaffa, <laughs> but uh, the language in it that people find objectionable. If you read it and think about it, it is actually pretty solid. Oh, yeah. I think we could all use a little more Aristotle, a little more Harry Jaffa, and a little more of the Shattuck family today. John, thanks for being with us. Yeah. (laughs) God bless you, sir. Thanks for being with us as always. I'm Seth Leifson. We'll be right back. Thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us, David. Thank you for uh, producing. Well done today, even with the uh, assault on our uh, olfactory senses that I spoke of earlier today. Folks, how do you think the Biden administration is handling the economy? We've got banks failing, stock market volatility, possible recession coming. What if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed? A portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose, and no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. This is a secure, collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate. Interest is compounded daily. You're paid monthly. There are no fees. Talk to my friends at Y-Refi. They're local. You can visit with them. I know them well. Trustworthy, honest, you won't get a sales pitch. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm. You can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. 
It's the word invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34, 888-YREFI-34. Yeah, Barry Goldwater, 1960, as I was remembering with uh, John Shattuck, um, didn't get the nomination. Nixon did. There was a small effort to make Goldwater the nominee. He didn't get it. Conservatives were upset, and that was his speech where he said, let's grow up conservatives. Otherwise, we will be – and he said, and put our shoulder to the wheel for Richard Nixon. If we want to take the party back someday, and I think we can, then our best bet is to defeat the blueprint for socialism that is the Democratic Party. Uh, he called it a blueprint in 1960. He called the Democratic Party the blueprint for socialism. A blueprint is a drawing. It's a draft. That's what a blueprint is. Um, it ain't that anymore. It's kinetic. It's active. That is today's Democratic Party. It is our duty more forcefully and more imperative than ever to grow up and get together and work together and get involved. If you're not involved, get involved. Whenever people come up to me after a speech, I had one the other day, get uh, and complain about one thing I say or another, even though they count themselves a member of the Republican Party, I ask them what they've been doing for it, what they've been doing in it. Get involved. And th- that's that's the first step. And uh, understand that a loss, an internecine loss to someone within the Republican Party is a far cry better than anything that will continue our forward march, if not slouch, towards socialism and thus Gomorrah. Again, thank you all for spending some of your afternoon with us. I am Seth Liebson. Until tomorrow, God bless you all and class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.